0: Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I am so thrilled today to be joined by friend of the podcast, Hallie Sutton. Hi, Hallie.
1: Hi, Lane. I'm so happy to be back.
0: So long-time listeners may remember um, Hallie was my Pitch Wars mentee back in 2018, and she was on the podcast at that time to talk about her book, The Lady Upstairs, which now is coming out. Uh, actually, by the time you're listening to this, it will be out. Uh, and then she was on last Christmas, was it, I guess? It was, yes. Uh, to talk about hustlers,
1: A Very Special Christmas with Jennifer Lopez.
0: The greatest Christmas movie of all, Hustlers. (laughs) Exactly, actually. (laughs) A literal decade ago because 2020 has been so
1: insane. It feels like a literal decade ago to have been talking about that. And then it feels like a lifetime ago, the first time I was on the podcast with you. So so thrilled to be back.
0: Yes. Um, So for anyone who missed that previous episode or hasn't seen me screaming on social media <laughs> or, or whatever, <laughs> why don't you tell us a
1: little bit about The Lady Upstairs? Sure. The Lady Upstairs is a modern feminist noir about women who run a blackmail agency in Los Angeles targeting bad men like Harvey Weinstein. And when the book opens, um, the main character, Joe, is in the middle of a sting operation to take down this kind of infamously lecherous Hollywood producer, Um Absolutely no parallels in real life. There's not a single person I could think of who fits that description. Um, and <laughs> and the job isn't going so well. The girl that she has hired, they haven't really closed it, um, which is a problem because uh, her boss doesn't take kindly to things taking too long. And also Joe owes her a sizable chunk of money. So that's kind of where the book opens.
0: And The Lady Upstairs is very much a modern noir story, which is, like, one of the greatest things about it. It's, like, you're taking all of these noir tropes, which can be, like, very sexist and shitty, right? Like, you're taking them and using them for your nefarious feminist purposes. Cause, so do you
1: want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Noir has a pretty entrenched history, at least the classic noir kind of, um, you know, both film and literature of kind of having these, I mean, I, I have a complicated relationship with the traditional femme fatale because she, on the one hand, is always the most fabulous character in whatever Uh, film it is. You know, she has the best lines. She has the best wardrobe. She's usually featured predominantly on the cover. And I would say that she is an enormous part of the draw for why people love these movies. On the other hand, she is very much kind of um, a character archetype who came about through the male gaze is a projection of kind of male... Concerns about inadequacy post World War II, and about you know empowered women both in the workforce and sexually, you know she's outside of the home, she's dangerous, and uh, <laughs> um so you know there's there's kind of this complicated twist to it. So um, writing my own book, one of the things that kind of helped make the book come together was imagining Joe as a very literal femme fatale, not a femme fatale because she. Might destroy a man because he desires her so much that he'll ruin his life, and somehow that's her fault. Or he wants her so badly he'll kill her husband, and again somehow that's her fault. Um, but she literally on her business card would be like, "I destroy men." So I wanted <laughs> to, <laughs> I wanted to take that um, character archetype and make it less of an archetype and more of a, more of like an actual person. Who is the woman who does this? Why does she do it? What is her life like? Uh, And I am certainly not the first person who has done that. You know, I think that there's been a lot of kind of female antiheroes who have come out, Um, you know, Jessica Jones, Veronica Mars. There's been a bunch of these. Veronica Mars isn't a femme fatale. But um, I actually read an article once that said Logan was the femme fatale of that show. And I love that point of view. But I, that was kind of my, my starting inspiration for putting, part of the book and the plot together
0: now I just want business cards that say I destroy men <laughs> like
1: that's all I want this is
0: my my only professional goal now which I could really just make happen at any time
1: yeah I mean I was just gonna say I was like you and me both and I can't believe we haven't done that and maybe that should be actually book swag that I make for people that I when oh I send God. out the book is Joe I destroy men <laughs> that's
0: perfect except she doesn't have a last name but she doesn't need one she's just <laughs> Joe
1: She's just Joe, just like Madonna.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh So this is a book that has like many unlikable, quote unquote, as we say (laughs) on the show, um, unlikable female characters. So there's Joe, there's Lou, who is her coworker and always has her her own agenda, but is very alluring. And it's sort of interesting because it's like Joe is the femme fatale like, destroying these men's lives and, you know, being very manipulative. But then, like, Lou is, like, her femme fatale who can Mm -hmm. destroy her. So it's, like, this weird intersection (laughs) two femme fatales fighting, but they also really like each other. I love it. Right,
1: right. And I think that there is something there, you know, about the kind of classic conundrum of noir about desire as destruction. And I, I do think... I think that it's unfair to create that as a character archetype, you know, like, that... A man wants a woman so badly that she's somehow destructive to him. But there is something genuinely destructive, I think, or can be about um, feelings, particularly when they're not returned or they're not returned in equal measure or, uh, you know, that that there is that the reason that Lou is dangerous to Joe as the book goes on. Well, there's a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons that Lou is dangerous to Joe as the book goes on is because of Joe's feelings for her, that there is something genuinely risky there
0: Mm -hmm. yeah their their friendship and their uh professional relationship is just like from the moment you meet them dripping with desire and Mm -hmm. like all these complicated emotions and like joe really can't think straight around her which is the experience that we see usually in noir with the men around the femme fatale they're just like we talked about this in our episode um on the femme fatale archetype that you know the penis must go where it's called and these men are just like (laughs) caught in the clutches and they can't help it like this woman comes in and she's so alluring they just do whatever she wants and get into all sorts of of trouble and joe is like causing that trouble and also kind of falling into that trap herself
1: right right uh i'm never not going to be laughing at that the penis must go where it's called that's great that's
0: Wendy's line she <laughs> says that on many of our episodes because it's always true <laughs> it's
1: always true and how could we expect it to be any different <laughs>
0: <laughs> they can't
1: help it right um but going back to likability we kind of coasted off that for a second but you're right there's so there's Joe and then I think another person um in the book that's the big question of unlikable female characters is Ellen, which is the woman that Joe has trained to go after uh, this Harvey Weinstein stand-in. And she's certainly unlikable to Joe. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that because the book is filtered so much through Joe's perspective, it's possible that, um, Who knows how the reader will will like or not like her, but I could imagine that, you know, if you're kind of seeing things through Joe's eyes, you see the unlikable parts of her, but I think that she viewed from another angle is probably much more sympathetic than Joe in a way too.
0: Yeah, because she's, like, having trouble because she's not so good at being the femme fatale. She's, like, catching feelings and
1: she can't. She's she's like a little baby intern who doesn't know how to do it yet and she's not doing a great job.
0: Right, and Joe is annoyed with her because of the lack of, like, competence and Mm -hmm. Joe's, like, just – why Why do you have to have morals? Like you're ruining everything.
1: <laughs> right. If we're in this business, morals are not a part of it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. But Ellen is also very, you know, manipulative in using sex to get what she wants, just not in as skillful a way as Joe would prefer, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, I think that that's exactly like a finger on it, a, the, the lack of skillfulness there. And mm. just kind of, I think that... Um, what I, there's parts of me that really related to Ellen in writing. Like she has a very, like a people pleaser nature, which can be like a lovely thing in people sometimes. And then I think can also be very irritating and unlikable. Um, But it's like, it's, it's not necessarily, I think when people say unlikable female character, that that's what they're saying. But I think in real life, plenty of people find that unlikable. There's so many ways to get it wrong as a woman.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what we talk about on the show all the time that like there's really nothing you can do to be likable across the board because it's it's you're you're too nice or you're too mean or you're too there's like a tiny little like yeah. tightrope you can walk where you would please everyone and then people would be like oh why do you need approval so much right. what's wrong with you like right. there's no way to win
1: right and then where's the there's this wide swath swath of bad behavior for men that can be chalked up to like well that's not great but it's nobody asked them like are you afraid that when you do this when you like scam a bunch of companies that you're being unlikable Nobody asked that.
0: (laughs) They should ask that.
1: Are you worried that when you don't concede an election that you didn't win, that you'll be perceived as unlikable? Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) We keep having to every episode because we recorded these a few weeks before they come out. So like the last episode we recorded in October and then it came out right after the election. And Uh so this one we're recording uh, November 12th and it'll come out right before Thanksgiving. And I feel like we always have to like, we're like, we don't know what the situation is going to (laughs) be like. Maybe he'll have conceded by the time you're hearing this or maybe we'll be in a full civil war. (laughs) Like very difficult to say. It's...
1: (laughs) to cover all the
0: eventualities I don't know it
1: really is yeah yeah
0: yeah 2020 is a wild time, a wild time, a wild time.
1: Yeah, but I think and you know what I find unlikable? I find the question of unlikability unlikable. Like I don't really understand that question. I think you have covered this in many other places, but I don't really understand why it's still a question because it's so nebulous. I remember hearing Amy Gentry speak on a panel once and saying, unlikable to whom? And I thought that that was such a great way to answer that question because there's no like... There's no like one thing that is likable. There's no like there is it's not like there's this one script you're handed that says this is likable. I mean, there's like a a certain range of behavior that we're taught is like the way to be. But like, I don't know. It's such a bizarre question, really. Yeah,
0: I keep expecting us to just move on from this as a culture, and then Wendy and Kristen and I are going to be like, "Well, I guess it's time to pack it in." But I just constantly see it in reviews and people talking about books and movies and characters online, and like it's still very much on people's minds. Mm-hmm. And it's just a way to keep women like in in a box and in line and right. like, obedient to the patriarchy. Like that's all this question is. But I don't really know how. We move beyond it, except continuing to talk about it and point out how fucking stupid it is, which is like the whole
1: conceit of the podcast, I guess. I think you guys are going to be in business for a long, long time, which is like great as a listener and like sad as society.
0: Yeah. That's how I felt. Like when I wrote Temper, and it's about, you know, this abusive director. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you feel the same way about the producer and the lady upstairs. Like when I wrote Temper, it was before Me Too. I mean, you know, that's been right. – the movie movement started a long time ago, but before like the Harvey Weinstein case and all the right. pu- publicity surrounding it. And then I was selling the book like, wow, that was really at a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, there's like a whole year till the book comes out. Is this still going to be relevant? And then I was like, of course it is because these <laughs> men will never stop. They're always going to be around. Like it just never totally. – <laughs> like I wish it wasn't relevant anymore. I wish we could move on from this. But unfortunately, the patriarchy just keeps being shitty.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Same thing. I feel like um, as I'm doing kind of like my podcast interview rounds, you know, we always talk about like the relevance of Me Too with the book. And I started writing it before the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out, which I agree with you. Me Too was around, I think tw- since t- 2006, but like the big publicity hub mm-hmm. around it happened like 2017. Um, But like that's kind of the horror of the Harvey Weinstein thing, right? Like we, we, everyone knew that there Mm -hmm. were these casting couch directors and some people knew explicitly that like Harvey Weinstein was a problem. And so it just kind of got enabled and hushed up and like, you know, maybe if you were like a good production company, you basically were like, we don't send the female interns over there, but like that's super fucked up in its own way too. And so, yeah, there's, there's like, you can be real timely with the Me Too movement without ever actually being timely about it because it's just, sadly, a part of our world.
0: Yeah. And it's like, is the solution to have a blackmail agency who ruins <laughs> these men's lives? I don't know. It's like in They Never Learn. Is the solution to just kill rapists? Like, probably not. But what is the solution? I'm just asking. Right.
1: <laughs> we're, you know what? We're just we're just brainstorming. We're getting the ball rolling. And we are open to suggestions. But here are some, here are some of them. <laughs>
0: Just a few. You know, right. until we come up with something better, we can just blackmail them and kill them. It's fine. There we go.
1: Perfect. <laughs> we're gonna get in so much trouble for this.
0: <laughs> I keep waiting, honestly, especially since we joined the Lit Hub Radio Network. I keep expecting them to be like, hey, could you tone it down? But so far no. <laughs> Good. So far yes. <laughs> no. A couple Let- episodes ago, I just like went on at length about how my book was inspired by wanting to kill Brett Kavanaugh, and they Ugh. were like, shrug. So <laughs> I mean don't we all, really? <laughs> exactly. that's what I'm saying. Um, so why don't we talk about some of your other favorite femme fatale characters throughout uh, his- the history of literature and film and whatever you want to mention. I know one thing you want to mention, so let's just get into it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am not shy about talking about my love for the film Body Heat. Uh, I am kind of considering this, uh, my, book, my book tour, such as it is, the like, unofficial 2020 body heat book tour because I have managed to talk about it at every event and every interview that I've done so far um have remind me have you you've you've seen it you didn't you didn't see it until more recently but you've seen it right? I thought
0: because you kept talking about it and I was like well I guess I've watched this <laughs> and it is indeed amazing this movie is like right? so steamy and tawdry and just like it's I they don't make them like that anymore and I wish they would <laughs>
1: I know it is. It is like a great example of the erotic thriller. I think people think of basic instinct, maybe because we got to see a very intimate part of Sharon Stone. (laughs) Um, But I really think body heat is kind of the apex of the erotic thriller, in my opinion. Um, And partially it's because it like it hues so closely to the noir tropes. Like it really is basically a remake of Double Indemnity, except they were like, but add a ton of sex to it. And they were like, okay, let's do it. And they did. And it's great. Um, and even if you watch uh, kind of the opening, like meet deadly of uh, double indemnity where Walter Neff first meets Uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character, Phyllis, and she's kind of up above him and she's wearing this white dress and she's wearing an anklet and she walks down the stairs and they have this great kind of repartee moment. It's recreated in a very like specific way. When you first meet Kathleen Turner, she walks by him, she's wearing this white dress. They have this great repartee moment. Some of my favorite uh, lines in film where he's like, what do you like in a man? Horny, lazy, stupid. And she says, you don't look lazy. And it's just so... (laughs) good. And it just, she, I watched this movie, maybe, I don't even know, 40 times, 50 times while I was writing my book, because there was something about it. I think, I think it was that kind of like love for noir and kind of like such attention to detail um, that maybe like you don't even have to pick up on it to enjoy the film. It just is also like a very enjoyable film um, with such specific specific character details like Ted Danson is an attorney who also loves like soft shoe dancing. And there are a few scenes in the film where like in the background of like more important things happening, he's just dancing. And it took me like 15 viewings to catch it. And oh. then there's, there's one specific scene where they're in a parking lot and they're having this conversation that's really important to the plot. And in the background, Ted Danson is just like boogieing by some cars. It's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've only seen it once, so I have not noticed this. I need to watch it several more times, apparently.
1: (laughs) Apparently you do. Uh, But I think part of it, too, is that I'm so fascinated by Kathleen Kathleen Turner's character, Maddie Walker, who is kind of this um, very classic femme fatale, married, bored in her marriage, gets involved in this very tawdry affair with William Hurt, and kind of from the beginning, you see where this is going, right? Like, you know that she's probably bad news. He wants her. He's a womanizer. He's kind of, like, entranced by her. And, of course, the plot has kind of these, like, deadly repercussions. I'm trying not to spoil it, but this movie is, like, almost 40 years old. So yeah. <laughs> maybe it doesn't matter. Um,
0: I think the people can imagine what happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the best thing about her character is she is not sorry at all. Like that's my favorite thing about every femme fatale. If they're just like give no fucks, they're like, this is what I want and I'm not going to apologize.
1: Totally unapologetic. And I think what I really love about her too is that you think, you know, the femme fatale is known so much for being kind of this deadly sexy force. Uh, and that's kind of what you think of Kathleen Turner at the beginning, that she's just this like attractive woman and he wants her so much. But the what you find out by the end is that what what she actually really is, is the smartest person in the room at all times. She is controlling everything that's happening. All of this is very specifically done. And she has a plan and has from the beginning. And to me, there's something really, I don't know, really enjoyable about seeing that, too, that it's like there's kind of this almost misdirection that it's really she's using her sexuality. But what she's really using is her brain.
0: Yeah, because you know who like the dumb bimbo in that movie is. It's William Hurt. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And like, I think the movie knows it too. Like from the beginning, the very first scene, he's in the courtroom and uh, basically the judge reams him out for being a stupid attorney, that he's not that good at his job. And it's just, it's great.
0: And he's like naked just as much as she is pretty much. Right. That's what I recall that the nudity is like very equal, which is rare still in in movies.
1: And I think part of that has to do, the film was directed by a man and I think it was written by a man too, Lawrence Kasdan. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he wrote and directed, but The, I believe the film editor was a woman and you can kind of see that in some of the touches because it doesn't, it's very sexy and it's not that it's necessarily like a feminist gaze, but it doesn't really feel male gazy, in my opinion. Like it doesn't, it's not, the lingering on Kathleen Turner's body is as much when she's clothed. You know, it's not really like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe not as much as say Hustlers, which I think really does like a fantastic job of not weaponizing like the, the weaponizing in like a male gaze way the female nude body but
0: yeah that's one like when i saw hustlers i really didn't know anything about it except that jennifer lopez was playing a stripper which was like all that took <laughs> to get me into the theater but
1: um remember theaters? all of us do you remember theater? oh my god barely <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um within maybe like five minutes of watching the movie i was like oh this is a female director like you could just tell and um right. body heat does have weirdly even though it was directed by a man there is that sense of like it doesn't feel gross the way the camera focuses on her there's something about it that's true
1: it doesn't feel exploitative in a way that it like very easily could which like in in a way that if we're going to talk about femme fatale's basic instinct evidently sharon stone did not know that that shot of her was going to be used oh really that's the that's what she said years later and i believe women so i'm taking her word for it but like i mean if that's really true and i believe it is like how how horrifying how awful How – I just, like, how – what a betrayal.
0: It's been years since I've seen that, but I just remember her character being, like, she's just, like, a monster, right? Like, we don't really care for her or, like, (sighs) where Kathleen Turner in Body Heat, even though she's doing bad things, I think I at least really related to her and was definitely rooting for her, like, 100%.
1: Yes, I agree. She – Kathleen Turner, there's something, too, about it where, yes, she's more – um, sympathetic in a certain way, which, and I don't even know if I know how to put my finger on it yet. Whereas, um, uh, what's her name? I think it's Catherine, Catherine, something, Catherine, in, Trammell. Uh, Catherine Trammell. Thank you. In basic instinct. She just is this, yeah, you're right. This kind of, she's, she's a sociopath for sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think Kathleen Turner is, I think she's just a schemer.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. She's just really mm-hmm. smart and everyone around her is really stupid. So like what she's supposed to do, just like <laughs> put up with that.
1: Right. No. <laughs> and she's using the weapons available to her to achieve the life she wants. There's like a great scene at the end where they... Okay, I'm just going to spoil it. You find out that that's never been her name the whole time, is that she's actually been using the name of this other woman. And she the, you find that out by looking through her high school yearbooks, and her high school yearbook says something like, most likely to retire on a tropical island, and that's the final <laughs> shot of the film. And so it's like, she had a goal. She was working towards it the whole time, whereas I think Catherine Trammell just really gets off on murdering men while having sex with them.
0: Which is relatable in its own way, to be fair. <laughs>
1: i agree <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we love we love uh goal-driven scheming on this podcast yes. we we respect yes. it
1: a plus a plus scheming
0: that's why we love amy from gone girl so much when we talk about her all the time because like she yes. had a goal and she followed through she made a plan
1: <laughs> she was a project oriented bitch and i mean that in the most like flattering way possible yes
0: absolutely absolutely so we can't let this podcast go by though. We're talking about all the the women and this is unlikable female characters, but we have to talk about my favorite character in the lady upstairs. I can't let you leave without <laughs> that. <talking. laughs> Speaking of male bimbos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> tell the people about my favorite character who I love and who has never done anything wrong ever in his life.
1: Never, ever once. Uh, (laughs) Lane's favorite character in the book, The Lady Upstairs, is Robert Jackal, who also works at the Blackmail Agency. He's the the only man that you know for sure works at the Blackmail Agency. They don't really know who their boss is, but Joe thinks it's a woman and she calls her the lady upstairs. But Jackal is a photographer for the blackmail agency. He's the one responsible for getting the photographs and video of the men doing bad things. And he is also kind of the the muscle, the enforcer as needed. And more importantly, he is Joe's kind of a, I guess I can say fuck buddy on the podcast. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And so that but they they really kind of have more of an emotionally fraught relationship than they would like to admit. But a lot of it is kind of just these sexy power sex games that they're mm. engaged in that I I think Lane enjoyed. Um just a little. And <laughs> and so in a way, I kind of wanted him to be like he's not an om fatale the same way that there are like really classic homme fatales out there, but uh He's he's a little bit he's he is a male bimbo and he is uh, the person Lane wants me to write fan fiction about.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when I uh, first encountered this book in my Pitch Wars inbox in back in 2018,
1: so long ago. So long ago.
0: It was really, I was like, first of all, just completely taken by Joe's voice. And I wanted to spend lots of time with her. Um and I like read the opening chapter and then I like went to bed that night and woke up in the morning still thinking about Joe and like kind of like thinking in her Aww. voice and just I don't know. So I was so obsessed with her, but then you sent me the full manuscript and I read a little further and there's this (laughs) sex scene between Joe and Robert Jackal in one of the first couple chapters that like, I will like on my dying day still be thinking of this sex scene.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is such a compliment. You don't even know. Uh, That is, that's one of the highest compliments I've ever received about my book sex scenes, but I have another one to share that's off color. I don't know if I'm allowed to share it or not.
0: Of course you are. You can say anything you want okay. on this podcast. We have no
1: rules. Okay, here. I'm not I'm not gonna name names, but um somebody so the sex scene in question um is Joe has kind of Jackal has done something to fuck up, and so Joe kind of punishes him by taking power in the bedroom and kind of um mm-hmm. bending him to her whims a little bit. And I workshopped it in grad school, which is always an interesting experience, and I had the next week after, I had somebody uh, in my grad school workshop be like, I've never climaxed on top before. But then I thought about your sex scene from chapter two. (laughs) And I was just like, what would Hallie have me do? And she was like, and it worked. And I was like, that's the greatest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) Uh, Wait,
0: never climaxed on top before? Like, how was she climaxing before? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I didn't ask that much. I was kind of like, "That's amazing." Thank I'm you. Sorry. I know that
0: wasn't <laughs> the point, but that was just where my, where they
1: my... I know. I so, but that's this... incredible. So that is. Thank you. I it really was. It was a, an incredible anecdote that she shared, and um, so that sex scene appears to be, appears to be a hit with you two. I don't know if anyone else will like it, but
0: I don't know how they could not like it. It's also one of the things that I. I love to see in a book where there's, like, a very in-your-face, like, confrontational kind of scene like that where it's, like, this is the kind of fucking book this is. And if you don't (laughs) like it, you should put the book down and walk away because, like, this is it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That is true. I am, in fact, being very kind to readers and saying, if this isn't your jam, bail now, because we're not getting lighter from here.
0: (laughs) That's like in uh, They Never Learn. It opens with a a murder. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, if you're not into this, that's fine. Like, I get it. But bail now. Like, this is what it is. I love books that start out that way, where it just like you really throw all your cards on the table and you're like, this is
1: it. (laughs) <laughs> Pull the ripcord and exit if you'd like, but otherwise we're doing it. Yeah.
0: So I was, I was completely in it. My partner will tell you, I was like yelling about how amazing the scene was and like reading him excerpts. And oh, that's lovely. I like read the rest and I read some other submissions and stuff, but like, honestly, from the moment that I read that sixteen, scene, I was like, it's, it's you. You're my mentee. That's <laughs> it. And then I was like staring down all the other mentors who were interested in your book, including Wendy. She was interested in it. And I was like, Wendy, don't you dare. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. That like warms my heart so much. Thank you.
0: (laughs) And the rest is history.
1: (laughs) And the rest is history. And now here we are. And my book comes out in just a few days and I would not be here without you. And I know that I've said that before, but like, I cannot ever thank you enough. Like you, what you did for me in the book is just unbelievable. And I'm so grateful and so lucky to know you.
0: I'm so lucky to know you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will say like one of the only not shitty things about 2020 has been that we've been like talking a lot more like we've been doing yes. times all the time and like bef- I, I don't know that is one of the weird things about this year it's like some people who you might think oh I'll just talk to them later like the weird circumstances yeah. we're all finding ourselves in it's like we're reaching out for a human connection in, in different ways and that's been one of my favorite parts is just getting to hang out with you even though I would much rather hang out with you in person
1: I agree, but I totally agree too. I think that there has been this kind of like turn towards. Relationship building, even if it's you know over phone or Facetime or whatever, that really I I cherish our weekly talks, and I feel bad that for the other people who don't get to be a part of them, how sad for them.
0: I know they are delightful.
1: <laughs> they are. Well,
0: this podcast episode is like the closest they can get. So
1: that's true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Being a little bit more professional, I say as we're like telling all these sex anecdotes. <laughs> I know. I know. But I swear, we're really
1: more professional, restraining ourselves. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Somewhere, our joint agent Sharon is just screaming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she loves it. It's fine.
1: She knew what she was getting true. into. <laughs> she did. She did.
0: Yeah, that's the coolest thing. Like we were, uh, we did pitch wars together, and we're represented by the same agent. And yeah, it's it's yeah. amazing how far we've come in the last few years. And now we. So we mentored an author named Heather Levy last year and her book comes out next June. And we just, which is amazing. uh, Announced our latest mentee who we're really excited to work with. And yeah, Pitch Wars is just like, you kind of just never get rid of the people from Pitch Wars. It's like I was your mentor and now we talk every week and I'm like showing up to all of your virtual events and like, you can't, you can't shake me. It's impossible.
1: I love it. I love it. And I totally agree. I think that like, there's so much good that came out of me, and I think for so many other people with pitch wars, but really, like, hands down, the best thing is knowing you and knowing Heather, and I'm so excited to get to know our, our mentee Lesia better. hmm Yes. Which her books featured an early sex scene, too, that I think both of us were like, yes, please.
0: Yeah. I guess this is, like, a hot tip for future people <laughs> who apply to for pitch wars. It's like, we need a really, like, fucked up sex scene in, I'm going to say the first five chapters... <laughs>
1: I agree. I agree. You we're Heather's
0: <laughs> book too, right? Oh my god! Yes,
1: you're right. <laughs> uh oh we we have a type.
0: <laughs> oh god, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that is that's our that is our type. That's how you get to us. That's the code.
1: <laughs> well, well, we gave away all the state secrets now. <laughs> I know.
0: Now I'm kind of afraid of what we're gonna get next year
1: hmm it's
0: okay like it's
1: gonna be weird for sure
0: most men don't listen to that there's very few men who listen to this podcast because that was my first thought is I'm like imagining right. one of those like mediocre white men listening to this and be like I know I know what I'll do
1: right I can be truly transgressive Ugh. older man has affair with younger woman Ugh. no one's told this story before <laughs>
0: seriously oh my god uh <laughs> What else do we talk about? So, like 2020 has mostly sucked. We've both been trying to work on new books and it's been going. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh... (laughs) But you're not great. Yeah. But
0: your next book idea sounds so cool. I'm like really excited to read it whenever you write it. Thank you. Do you want to talk about that a little?
1: I do. Absolutely. And I also want to ask you who is your favorite femme fatale in either literature or film. Um, But so my next book is uh, another feminist noir set in Los Angeles. And it is about a woman who um, is a former child star, like comes from kind of like Hollywood royalty family. And she runs a, now runs a murder bus tour, which is kind of partially because her own sister was murdered 20 years before and the crime has never been solved. And so one day when she's on the tour, they discover an actual dead body of a dead woman at one of the stops. And she gets uh, roped into the investigation, trying to figure out if there's a connection between her sister's unsolved murder, and the murder of this woman.
0: It sounds so good.
1: Thank you. (laughs) If I keep talking about it, maybe I'll actually write
0: it. You will write it. This is the worst time to do anything. Like It's just like the existential dread is so crushing.
1: It is high. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there are some people who can just kind of put their heads down and work no matter what, but Mm -hmm. I am not that kind of writer I need like the right mood and I I don't know we're trying to work on that but I think you're the same way where it's like you just have to be feeling it and if you're not feeling it it's like painful
1: yeah and it's uh I think that it also requires particularly this early type of drafting when you're really trying to like create a world and get to know a character like There's like an immense amount of focus and concentration that really has to go into that. Whereas I think later when you're revising, like obviously there's a lot of focus and concentration, but you kind of know who you're working with, what you're working with. And um, I just I'm struggling to find the kind of reserves like inside myself that I need to have to really be like, okay, what is this like full like world that I'm trying to build
0: yeah, because revising is definitely more mechanical. So it's like, even mm-hmm. if you're not in the mood, you can still figure it out. But when you're first writing a book, it's like, well, I don't know. I just keep finding in 2020, it's like, I am working and it's going well. And then all of a sudden, I'm hit with this like wave of existential dread, usually mm-hmm. due to something that Donald fucking mm-hmm. Trump did or yeah. <laughs> whatever. And then it's not just like, it's distracting. You have this feeling of like, does any of this matter? Like, what's the right. point of anything? Right. <laughs>
1: Should I be preparing for the Civil War or looking into citizenship elsewhere? Seriously.
0: Did I make a mistake marrying an American when I could have married a Canadian? What the fuck was I thinking?
1: (laughs) really did. I know. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you didn't have the foresight years ago to know. I know. (laughs) Um, Do you want to talk about what you're working on?
0: I'm working on a couple different things. So I have two works in progress that I'm kind of bandying about and going back and forth. And one is Uh,
1: overachiever.
0: Well, but it's like, just so I can procrastinate constantly. I have like different things to procrastinate on. Like, that's basically what's happening. So One is a thriller about rival ice dancing teams who may or may not have murdered their coach right before the Olympics. Uh, And that one I have like a really terrible full draft of it is like truly the worst thing that I've ever written. Mm -hmm. But I can kind of like see the potential there, like now that I have it all together. Um, And then the other is this gothic, like modern gothic book about a woman with chronic pain who's in a love triangle with two stepbrothers. Yes, it's very dark. I'm kind of back on that one right now, actually. Although by the time this airs, that may have have changed. (laughs) I don't know. I keep trying to like, create like in in order to create the mood and the right mindset. I've been getting very like witchy and superstitious and trying to create rituals around things like I instead of writing yesterday morning, I spent like an hour on Etsy buying like candles and essential oils and stuff to make like a writing altar in my office. Like that's where I'm at right now.
1: (laughs) I love it. You know, I, I, uh, one of the places where we differ is I think I have a little less interest in, in that side of things. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a huge amount of power in ritual for something like writing that, you know, you kind of have to like set an atmosphere or, I mean, it's the same, I I played a lot of sports growing up and it's very similar to like you get kind of in a routine and it almost becomes, yeah, superstitious. Like, oh, I'm not going to hit the right shot if I don't do it exactly in this way. And I think it's very similar with writing. It can be. I'm just like all about tricking myself. And yes. I can
0: trick myself if, and I'm going to trick, maybe I can trick myself with, Ritual, or just like yelling at myself, or like maybe I'll just free write for a while, so it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like I'm writing a book. Like whatever I can do to trick myself when I'm in the early drafting stages, I will do. Whether it's lighting a candle or like something a little more.
1: I I love it. So, what kind of candle did you buy?
0: Um, it is called Gothic Estate. Oh yes, smells like smoke and wood and flowers, and I'm very excited.
1: That's amazing. (laughs)
0: I'll have to like post that on uh, the podcast Twitter in case anyone else wants a moody candle. I feel like so like spooky season is over, but not for me. Spooky season is forever.
1: I think you're yeah perpetual spooky season for Lane
0: for sure. Well, and for Wendy and Kristen too. I think like that's true it. on true, this true. podcast. It is always always spooky season.
1: It is uh, a very cherished memory of mine that that you Wendy and I got to go on a murder bus tour. And frighteningly, that was this year. I not believe that <laughs> was
0: this year. That feels like lost to the mists of time. Like it really
1: does. It was in January oh. and yet it might have been like six years ago. Oh my
0: god. It was so good though. We went on the murder yeah, rescue. We went to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. We got tacos, yes. we went to bookstores. It was amazing.
1: We had a great time. Someday. Back when we could travel and do things like that.
0: Yeah. Someday I'm gonna get back there. And you guys can come to Chicago and someday when this is all over one way or another.
1: Oh, my God. This time last year, I was in Chicago with you.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Holy shit, you were. That also feels like at least 20
1: years prior. Wow. It really does. It really (laughs) does. And it was so cold. (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) Okay. I am cold in my house right now and it's like 62 degrees out. So (laughs) I can't relate. I know, I know. I'm weak. <laughs>
0: Although I am I am currently wearing um a chunky sweater that I bought from Target on the recommendation of our literary agent, Sharon. Yes. And she was right. It's very cozy.
1: The wine ant sweater? Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I got
1: she should she should have a line at Target as far as I'm concerned. She
0: really should. I want we should suggest it. Like sweaters and like wine glasses and yes. like
1: inspirational or signs or yes. pillows. Yeah. Yes. Okay we we might have to pitch this to target for her.
0: (laughs) this is our test to see if Sharon is listening to this podcast it really
1: is (laughs) I did that last night too I had my first author event last night and there was a point where I was like I don't know if I should be saying this maybe my agent will chime in if she's watching if not I guess I'm just gonna say it
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's the great thing about the podcast though she can't stop us it will already be that's true
1: it's happened we
0: love you Sharon
1: We love you, Sharon.
0: <laughs> well, you've got a couple more events coming up. So this is going up on the 25th of November. Do you have, I know you have one event after that. It's
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you have other ones
0: you want to talk about though?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, one of the great benefits of, uh, if you can, if you can say that there are benefits of COVID-19, which I am not trying to say that, but one of the silver linings, I guess, is that, um, even though I would have loved to have done in-person bookstores uh, events for my book, I think it's really very cool that I get to do um, Zoom events with so many different bookstores that I probably would not have been able to do events for. So, um, And that they get to be posted online, to be watched in perpetuity, which may or may not be good, but I mean, it's like not a one-time only thing. So um, next week I will be doing events um I'm doing a Noir at the Bar reading on Sunday, which I think will be up for for a while. Um, Next week, I'm doing an event with Elizabeth Little for Pages Bookstore here in LA. Um, I'm also doing an event with Amy Gentry for Poison Pen Bookstore. And then I'm doing an event with Wendy Hurd for Mysterious Galaxy next week. So I believe that all of those will be up and available to view probably forever. Yeah. And then... We have our event on December 3rd.
0: Yes, uh, at Women and Children First, except not actually at Women and Children First, but in yes. on the internet, sponsored by Women yes. and Children First, which is my favorite bookstore here in Chicago.
1: So if you want to hear Lane and I just ramble like this <laughs> on behalf of a bookstore, catch us there. Oh,
0: we're going to need like new material. I know. What we well, talk I think, about,
1: I think I think we'll find things. I don't think that'll be a problem. Well, we can always go back to Jennifer Lopez.
0: That's true. I'm gonna email Sarah at Women and Children First and be like, I know we said we'd talk about our books, but instead we're just gonna talk about Jennifer <laughs> Lopez for 45 minutes and then take some questions. Like, is that cool with you? Great.
1: <laughs> but in fact, what we are going to do is uh, a supercut of Hustlers, just featuring the Jennifer Lopez parts. That'll be the event <laughs>
0: that would be way better than us talking, honestly. <laughs> that's what we should do.
1: So, I had an event last night with Emily Schultz for Murder by the Book in Houston, um, which actually happened during the middle of a global YouTube outage. So they are still currently working on piecing the video together. But uh, at one point we were joking about how much I talk about body heat and she actually brought a DVD of body heat to the event, which was amazing. Um, But she was like, should we just live stream body heat and tweet about it? And I was like, and now I have to do that I want to do that you should you should do it like cause Riley Sager
0: and that book blogger crime by the book, Oh right. right Is that hurt yeah they do those like movie nights and they watch horror movies and live tweet it you should totally do that for body heat
1: that's true I really like that idea I um, that. perfect maybe we can get a little coterie of people yes yes I'm totally down love it I also want to do a cocktails and coloring book night. Um, and I mentioned that because you posted on Facebook today uh, your wonderful iteration of the coloring book page for the lady upstairs.
0: Yes, that and is I- the coolest fucking thing. Um, so for those of you who are not subscribers to Hallie's newsletter, which like why aren't you? You should sign up right now. <laughs> um, she sent you. out this book book club kit that has a coloring book page that's based on the cover of the lady upstairs and then a custom cocktail that's like based on the book as well what's the name of the cocktail again
1: the cocktail uh is called the put your lips together and blow which is a reference to um a famous noir moment
0: yes yes so usually book club guides are kind of boring. It's just like a bunch of questions you don't want to answer, but Hallie's is legit amazing and you want it. So Thank sign up for you. the newsletter, check out her website and um, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet.
1: Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Hallie. Oh, shoot. I should know my Twitter handle. Hallie underscore Sutton. Thank you. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Hallie underscore Sutton. Um, You can find me at Instagram at Hallie Sutton 25. You can find me on my website, HallieSutton.com. And on my website, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which I do once a month. And um, I would say for the most part, I actually like for me, it's more fun to recommend other stuff. So I try to like limit the self promotion. Um, The one I sent out yesterday was very self promotion heavy because my book comes out in a week. But um, for the most part, I'm like recommending podcasts or different cool murdery things or articles or movies that I have seen lately. Yeah, your newsletter
0: is one of the few where I'm like, yay, I can't wait to read this. Like usually, I mean, I hate my newsletter. I shouldn't say that, but- <laughs> I love your newsletter. Most author newsletters are just like, I feel like I'm better at social media and I don't really understand the newsletter thing, but you've totally got it down and I love reading
1: Oh, yours, thank you. So. I don't think I understand social media. I actually had the thought today- when I was posting stuff on Instagram, I was like, I wonder if anyone will ever take me under their wing and show me how to Instagram because I don't think I'm doing it right.
0: <laughs> I like have taken like courses and stuff to try to get better at it. And I still don't think like I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing. And then once you figure it out, they change the algorithm. So yeah, it's all kind of bullshit. Exactly. And then it's over. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, yes. Yeah, so by The Lady Upstairs, it is available at the time that this airs. It is available now. And sign up for Hallie's newsletter. Check out those virtual events. And we hope to see virtually see some of you at our yes. December 3rd event sponsored by Women and Children First. Um, so thank you so much, Hallie. This was so fun.
1: Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me.